Do you love to love? Do you get a sense of loyalty as soon as you meet someone you like and expect a similar commitment in return? Have your high expectations left you disappointed on numerous occasions? It might you feel a little sad at times that people just don't love as hard as you do? Yeah, this podcast is for you. I'm Carmen Bertlin and I'm a neurosemantics coach, yoga and meditation teacher, and I love to love. Ever since Harry met Sally, I've been a romantic. This is my big leap from serial monogamous to feeling fulfilled as a single person. And so can you. Consider this a guide to becoming your single best self, so that when you meet someone, they're not a life raft. They're an added bonus. Welcome to the single best. I'm excited to be in your ear. Wow, this year really started with a bang. Not the kind of physical bang I would have liked, more like bang, bang, give me all your money. I'm sure a lot of people are in similar boats now, post-holiday broke and perhaps also a little unmotivated to work because freedom from work just tastes so good, doesn't it? So the goal is to do something you're passionate about so you won't work a day in your life, as the saying goes. I dare say that a few of us now want to reinvent ourselves for the new year. Think big, do better, be kind, get the funds, get off the booze and the hamburgers, stop that shit that's so 2023 and be your best self in 2024. It's not like we're any different since six, six days ago, but it's a mental reset, and that's a chance at it. Maybe this year I'll get the job, the car, the house, the husband, the lipo, whatever else will make us happier. I don't think I'm speaking only for myself when I say that this shift in mindset can create unnecessary pressure. I mean, frankly, I've been feeling a little depressed this last week. I was supposed to have done so much already. Like what exactly? Well, I wanted to set my intention for this year, set some personal goals and get in the right headspace to start fresh. I was going to have a house to myself between Christmas and New Year's to fully focus on this, get a sense of control. Instead, I shared a bottle of wine with my cousin the night before she was going to drop me off to fly back to the UK after spending Christmas in Finland. And we decided to book her on the same flight on a whim. It was all so very exciting at the time, both half-cut and overly enthusiastic. I absolutely loved that she came back with me, but what was meant to be me going back into my routines with training and feeling on top of things before the year end turned into an eight-day festivity. I'm honestly so sick of alcohol now, and I haven't been this out of pocket for years. I most definitely do not feel in control. And yeah, it's been stressing me out a bit, if I'm being honest. But like my friend Kirsty said, making memories should never be regretted. And I totally agree. The time with my cousin is something I will cherish. She is such a good time. And somehow I always know myself better after spending time with family. It's like they reflect so much of me back at me. Missing pieces just fall together and things start to make a little bit more sense. I can admit to having the need to be in control, at least when it comes to my own life, and therefore acceptance of current circumstance can be challenging. Acceptance is a form of surrender. The only place I normally surrender is to a lover, but challenge accepted. I am going to try to simply approve of myself and my current situation as it is. Trust. Trust in the process. If being kind is one of the traits I most value, being kind to self is included in that. If you can relate to any of this, maybe take the foot off the pedal a bit, 
fair enough, it's a new year, but the need to rebrand a new you is a utopian dream. Shouldn't we instead be happy that we survived another year and we're still here, we're still alive and hopefully well? Not all get so lucky. One thing that has shifted for me in this annual transition is my views on dating. Where I was previously reluctant to date, I'm now ready to throw myself into it. Let's see how many dates it takes for me to eat these words. Now, but I've come to realize that I'm not a floozy for serial dating. It's not the 50s, mum. It's not like I let everyone in a finger bang either. And I'll be very selective with who I go on dates with. And intentional. Here's a quote that I heard today from a source unknown. Imagine your dating life as a cooker hop. At all times, there should be a pan on every ring switched on. You can turn up the temp and you can turn it down, but never turn it off. This is that abundance mindset I've spoken of in a previous episode as well. I've been very quick to write people off just after one date and doing so might make us miss some amazing opportunities. Obviously, if there's a lack of connection, it's fair to move on. But if there's something there, perhaps let it simmer for a bit. I've been written off too soon by a couple people that I had a lovely time with and it hurts. The potential is unrealized. I hear stories all the time about people who say that it took three to four dates to really feel that this was the person to invest in. And hearing this used to actually make me a little bit mad. I think I've been so certain for so long that I know when I know and so I've always let that dictate my love life. Like a gut feeling. But then there's gut feeling and there's romanticizing, right? We don't necessarily make the wisest partner choices by just following that feeling. Maybe this is what healing looks like, a change in perspective, allowing for something different to get better long-term results. One thing I do know though is that settling is something completely different and I'm not willing to do that. My own company is far too enjoyable to settle with a partner who doesn't tick the boxes of making me feel both safe and excited. This is a good place to be. I like it here, so may the best man win. I was on a date yesterday, had another one today, and a third next weekend. Hard work. They all show promise, so they're worth the chance. The date last night was an interesting experience. We've spoken for weeks now, and although very sporadic, you get the sense of someone via text, and that sense isn't reality. Someone's vibe can't be transcribed into text messages has to be experienced in the flesh. And nerves will play a part too in how someone behaves on a first date. Not everyone is a cool cucumber. And a man who isn't always in the dating scene, let's face it, he doesn't have game. He might come across a little clumsy or even a bit over the top. This is where my role is to put him at ease. I think that's only fair. He's showing up. And if there aren't immediate red flags showing in someone's behavior and they're kind and respectful, see what happens. Be open and curious. Let it be fun to find out. Anyway, me and this guy had gotten to know a little bit about each other via text exchange, so I thought I knew what he was going to be like in person. But he wasn't. At all, actually. And initially I was a little taken aback by it, but I eased into it, and once I did, I had a really good evening. He was respectful and funny, and we had good banter. The initial downer from the realization that the guy that I had created in my mind didn't exist eventually wore off. I think it's natural to fantasize and thinking we know someone based on what we read and the photos that we see. And this is why I've specifically stated in my dating profile that I don't want a pen pal. I want to meet in person. 
And the sooner you meet, the sooner you can see if you click and time isn't spent on endless conversation whilst essentially creating a false sense of reality. It reminds me of that film with Joaquin Phoenix where he falls in love with Scarlett Johansson's voice. It could happen, and it probably does quite often, considering that most of us meet digitally now. They do say that only fools rush in. I mean, if you start at 100 with someone, where do you go from there? We're bound to get disappointed if we start a digital relationship with someone and expect it to be as wonderful in real life as the version we made up in our minds. The mind doesn't know the difference between what's fiction and what's reality. This is why affirmations are so powerful and negative self-talk can be so debilitating. You know that reality show Love is Blind where they fall in love sight unseen? They only hear each other's voices through a wall. My favorite part of the show is when they actually do get to meet and there's always one or two people who confess that the person doesn't match the mental image they've created. Of course that's going to happen. It's inevitable. At least with online dating, you get to see some images, but it really doesn't give a complete overview of a person. Plus, we have to take into account the people that use photos from 10 years ago and you end up feeling a little duped when you when you meet and suddenly you're on a date with someone who looks like your uncle. Isn't it better to look better live than on your profile? So it's a positive surprise when you see each other for the first time. I think so. I'm always a little bit reluctant as well when I see people smiling with their mouth closed on every photo. When me and my ex met on Hinge four years ago, I thought he was very gorgeous looking, but I said to him that I needed to make sure he had teeth before committing to the train ride to London. And he laughed at that and he sent a pic of himself smiling, which was adorable, but gave him a completely different image. He wasn't cool and mysterious anymore. He was boyishly charming, which was better, but even so. And uh, then I have a friend who told me that he matched with this girl who had glasses in her photos, which he had a weakness for. So he was very excited about meeting her. And it turned out it was a Snapchat filter. He said he felt a little lured. And I get that. Spectacles can be mad sexy and freckles as well. And you have Snapchat filters for both of those. So we tend to present our best selves to potential partners. And when it's time to get together, reality mightn't be as polished and glamour glamorous. So be safe out there and do your research. Ask someone to send you a photo in real time, which I'm glad I did with Ben Mason. Yes, Ben Mason whose real name I am sharing on this podcast because he was a catfish. Look out for Ben Mason, anyone. Tall, dark, handsome, toilet trained, as he puts on his profile, but it is not the guy. We had a digital whirlwind romance over a weekend, sending each other cute voice notes while I was frothing over his good-looking profile. And for some reason, I didn't want to go out on a date. And when he sent me the first pic of his face on the Sunday... It's like a punch in the eyes. Who was this guy? And how can I actually track down the the real guy from the profile pics who I developed such a lust for in the last 48 hours? Of course, when I confronted Ben, he deleted all the traces of our conversations and his profile was already gone from the dating app. So the people who actually show up and treat us right, let's give them a fair go. Let's be a little less judgmental and... If we can be anything this new year, let's be kind and open-minded. I must also say that I'm thoroughly enjoying a bit of a slow burn now. Guys who take their time are patient and let themselves be 
revealed one layer at a time, like a good onion. Because again, if we start at 100 and you send me a nude after we chat for two days, where is there to go from there? Yeah, we could go on a date, but it isn't as enticing anymore, I have to be honest. And as a woman, I want to feel safe in a man's company, and if this border is already being crossed, there's a quiet expectation there now that the first date is going to lead to sex, so if we catch up and we're not vibing, things will be so much more awkward. I've seen you in your wife fronts, like... Chances are, if we made each other climax before even meeting in real life, that is all we will ever be. Virtual. So more of the gradual build-up, please, and going on a date early on after matching, so we don't just linger in the shadows of each other's social media or get stuck in the texting phase until it fizzles out. had a little epiphany the other day when I was out walking in nature and this is often where I come to realizations when I'm out walking. I tend to process my thoughts better when I'm moving and things get a little bit clearer as a result. So there are three main areas of life that humans tend to focus on, health, wealth and relationships. When these three areas are balanced, we're in perfect harmony and things feel great. If one of these areas need extra attention, we can put our focus here and hopefully shift back into a sense of equilibrium by solving the issue at hand. If two of the areas become problematic, things start feeling a little bit more overwhelming. And may the gods have mercy if we're completely off kilter in all three areas of life. I was remembering back to times in my life when I've felt on top of all three areas and realized it's not that often. There tends to be two out of three going well and more often than not, one area requires my focus. In 2023, it was my relationships that required most of my attention. I was still healing from my breakup when I met someone who then became, became a casual connection and I spent too long wanting to change it into something it wasn't going to become. So instead of accepting it for what it was, then I might have actually enjoyed it more if I just saw it as the temporary fix that it was. And to 2024, I was finally accepting the outcome after having a successful date that shone a light on what was missing from the casual connection. And although that date didn't eventuate into a second one, it was a step in the right direction. So when I let go of that problem, in true fashion, I found a new problem. So this is what humans do. We're problem solvers. And this time I'm feeling off balance in the area of wealth. And I'm looking at new opportunities to create more income. It's not causing me too much stress because I choose to focus on the solution rather than the problem, but it needs my attention at the time or at the moment. So it's is it likely that we never have a complete balance in the three areas of life or is it that if we don't, it's perhaps because we don't believe that we're fully deserving of having it all? Food for thought and let me know your own experiences of the three areas of life, health, wealth and relationships. Which one do you value the most and in what order of importance are they to you? I value health um, a lot. For me, my health is my wealth and this is why I eat reasonably well and exercise regularly. And yeah, you do have those people who are in rude health even though they eat gluttonous amounts and drink like sponges and 
Then you have the athletes who die at stro of a stroke at 30. But again, it gives me a sense of control, which in turn gives me a sense of peace. Relationships are obviously in focus as I value love and connection really highly and wealth equals freedom. So for me, these three areas are nearly impossible to put in a rank order. Author of The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, Mark Manson, says we will always have problems, but to choose better problems. To think that we'll live without problems is set up for disappointment. Damn right, I think. If you haven't read this book and it makes for a really eye-opening read and I can add it to the show notes, in my humble opinion, every home should have a copy of this book. It's like a basic guide to caring less about things that really don't matter and freeing up space for things that do. Wrapping up episode eight, I want to sum this up with a reminder not to be so hard on ourselves. January comes with a lot of societal pressure, but we're only doing our best with the tools that we have at hand. So let's have a bit of fun while we're at it. Being single isn't some disease that needs a cure. It can be very liberating to live on your own terms. And once parted up, you may glance back at this time with fondness. Think, damn, that was a good time. Thank you for tuning in and for your continuous support. We're now at 300 plus downloads since the start. I also love that my family back home has been listening in as this makes me feel a bit more connected in a way I'm not when we live so far apart. So thank you, Brother Ben in Finland and Sister Chanel in Norway. Please leave a five-star review as well if you haven't already as it bumps us up on the search feed. And where do we want to be? On top. That's right. So until next time, lots of self-love.